Good morning. Good morning. It is so good to be here. Would you open your Bible, please, and uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, I'll meet you there in uh, just a few minutes. And as you're turning to Luke 9, um, I just want to take this chance right now just to say thanks to all of you who took advantage of the ministry fair that we had here last weekend. And um, we had some of, yeah, amen. Yeah, you can clap for that, sure. <clears throat> we, had, uh, we had some of our ministry leaders set up outside ready to connect. And, and many of you actually connected with uh, some of our ministry leaders to serve in a ministry here in this church for the very first time. And, and that is, yeah, amen. That is a big big answer to prayer. That is a huge encouragement for us, and uh, we give all the glory to God for the ways that he's at work. And, and so I just want to thank you for that. Thank you for responding to the call of God in your life in that way. And um, so bless you. Thank you. And we're excited to see what the Lord is going to do with all of that. Um, also, just want to remind you very quickly about our church-wide prayer meeting that's coming up, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that, which is October 16th, 7 o'clock, right here at the school. And um, that's a really important prayer meeting for us. We're going to be seeking the Lord for his plans to see what he might have in store uh, for a church plant in Simcoe in that area. And uh, we just want to ask you to make that a priority to be here as together, as this church family, we seek the Lord and his plans. We have no plans beyond seeking his plans. And uh, that's what we want. And so this is for everybody, not just for those who live out there. Uh, this is for our entire church family. We're in this together and seeking the Lord for what he would have uh, for that. So that's not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after October 16th. Mark it on your, on your calendar, and uh, we'd love to see you here for that. Well, last week, uh, we finished our series called Life Defined, and uh, we spent four weeks together in God's Word looking at the mission of God, the mission of the church, the mission of my life, and then finished last week with a message from Isaiah 6 called, Here I Am, Send Me. And today, uh, we begin a brand new series that transitions us very well from where we have been as a church to where uh, we as elders believe the Lord is now taking us as a church. And so the name of our new series is Counting the Cost, Jesus on Money from the Gospel of Luke. Now, I don't know what you happen to be thinking or what you happen to be feeling right now as you hear that we're about to begin a brand new series on money that will last for the next six months. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not six months. Six weeks. If you can see some of the looks on your faces, now I know what you're thinking, right? And, and so just kidding. It's not six months. It's only six weeks. And, and so I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're feeling right now as you hear that we're about to begin this brand new series. But what's really interesting is that Jesus talked a lot about money and possessions, in fact, almost half of the parables that Jesus taught are somehow connected to money and possessions. 288 verses just in the Gospels alone are teaching about money and possessions. In fact, there's more than 2,000 verses across the entire Bible, more than 2,000 that talk about money and possessions. And it seems that part of the reason that Jesus spent so much time talking about money and possessions is because he knows the power that it can have over us. Money and possessions can easily turn into a rival small g God within our hearts. And so that the small g God that we end up worshiping is not so much just the money and the possessions, but the small g God that we end up worshiping is ourselves. And so uh, the problem here is that money, though it is a good gift from God, okay, so let's get that on the table right away. 
though it is a good gift from God, money can sometimes be a very convincing liar. Like pants on fire kind of liar, right? And in other words, money is one of those things in life that promises us so much and yet delivers us so little. And if we're not careful, we can really miss how deceptive it actually is. For example, listen to what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10. It says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. So the Bible's saying here that money and possessions don't have the ability to satisfy. In fact, what the Bible's saying in this verse is that the person who is consumed with their income, consumed with accumulating money, consumed with their bank account, their investments, whatever it may be, that person is never going to be satisfied because their money, their income, will never be enough. So money and possessions don't have the ability to satisfy, which is why we need to hear what Jesus says, not only about what does not satisfy, but actually about what does satisfy. Now, not only did Jesus talk a lot about this, but, but I think what you're going to find, and I hope what you find as we go through this series, and even as you read the Gospels for yourself, you'll find that Jesus talked in a certain way about money and possessions. And so as we begin this series today, I just want to set the table for you to help us understand, make sure we're all on the same page as to what this series is about and what this series is not about. So I want to put on the table three main considerations for you as we begin this series today. Number one is this. This series is not only about what's in your wallet, but about what's in your heart. Now, the inverse could be said about that as well. That this series is not only about what's not in your wallet, but it could be about what is not in your heart. For example, consider what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be also. Like, you want to know what someone truly values in this life? You want to know what they, what they really treasure in this life? Jesus says right here, it's not really that much of a mystery. Like, you don't need Scooby and the gang to figure this one out. Because Jesus tells us right here, you want to know what a person really values, what they really treasure within their life? Then look at how they spend their time. Look at how they spend their abilities. And then look at how they spend their money. And when you look at those three things, you're going to see what that person treasures, what that person values. You want to do some self-examination in your own life? Ask yourself those three questions. What am I spending my time on? What am I spending my abilities on? And what am I spending my money on? And wherever it is that you invest those things, that's where your heart is going to be as well. That's why the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money, Bit of a play on words there, right? Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So don't miss what the Bible says in that verse. We can be content with whatever earthly possessions we have because we possess Jesus for all of eternity. And so you need to understand right off the top that that's the question of this series. That is what we are going for. The question is not, am I content with my possessions? The question is, am I content with Jesus? Because when you're content with Jesus, then everything else in your life begins to take its rightful place. That's consideration number one. Consideration number two is this. This series is not about guilt, but about grace. This series is not about guilt, but about grace. I mean, this is Jesus teaching us. 
about what he says about money and possessions. And it's about Jesus going for our hearts. And so because that's true then, this series cannot be about legalism. This series cannot be about checking a box. This series cannot be about doing better or trying harder. And this series definitely cannot be motivated by a sense of guilt. It has to be about grace that abounds. And it's not just the grace that God gives us in blessing us with money and possessions. It's also about the grace that is being extended from us to others because of the money and the possessions that God has given to us. I love how the Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 8. Um, He's talking about the churches in Macedonia who didn't really have a lot, and yet they're making some extreme financial sacrifices simply for the spread of the gospel around them. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So when he says here, this act of grace He's talking about how they use their money and possessions to bless the people around them. Now here's the thing. It could be that um, as we go through this series that the Spirit of God and the Word of God is going to bring some conviction in the area of money and possessions within our lives. And I want you to hear right from the very beginning, I I just want to front load this, make sure we're all on the very same page with this. I want you to understand right from the start that there is a massive difference between conviction and condemnation. Okay? So hear that right from the start. The enemy is going to bring condemnation. And as we go through this series, there may be some of you who sit here week in, week out with the Word of God open in front of you and the Spirit of God teaching you, and as you do, the enemy's going to whisper lies into your mind and into your heart. You're not good enough for this. Like, look at how you failed in the past. Look at all the financial decisions that you've made in the past that have just buried you in this hole. Like, you don't deserve forgiveness. Look at what you've done. You don't deserve grace. You don't deserve mercy. You don't deserve any, like, over and over and over again. It could be as we go through this that that the enemy is just going to keep whispering those lies into your mind and into your heart. But understand that the good news and the grace of the gospel is that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, So the enemy, understand this, he is going to be bringing condemnation through the course of this series. But the Spirit, the Spirit of God brings conviction. And when the conviction comes from the Spirit of God through the Word of God, that is a good thing. Embrace that conviction from the Spirit of God because that conviction not only leads us closer to Jesus so that we can hear more of what he's saying, but it also makes us more like Jesus in the end. So hear this. Even in the conviction as we go through this, even as difficult as it may be to hear some of this, even as difficult as it might be to process some of the things that come into your mind and into your heart because of decisions made in the past or paths being chosen in the present, even as we go through this, embrace that conviction from the Spirit of God and understand that in that conviction there is so much grace. That there is grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that there is grace, I pray, from your brothers and sisters in this room sitting around you right now and across this church. So that's consideration number two. And then number three is this. This series is not about fundraising, but about faith building. I think of the times like when 
uh, Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves for thousands of hungry people and, and how God is able to take that which is sacrificially entrusted to him and how he can multiply it in ways that we never could for purposes that are far greater than our own. And the main point of that miracle, like so many others, is to show that only Jesus can truly satisfy the hunger of our souls. That our soul hunger will not be fed by fish and bread, but rather our soul hunger will be fed by Jesus himself. And that's the same thing that we're going for in this series, to understand that our souls will never be truly satisfied by things like money and possessions, but will only be satisfied as we trust wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ. So understand, this series is not about fundraising. It's not about meeting a budget. It's not about beginning a campaign. It's about learning to trust in Jesus with our money and our possessions, and therefore learning to trust in Jesus with all of our lives. So, in light of those three considerations, I want to give you just a little bit of a window into uh, where we're going through the course of this series. Today we begin in Luke chapter 9 with a message uh, called The Cost of Following. Week 2 is The Danger of Coveting, followed in week 3 by The Freedom in Seeking. Week 4 then is The Power of Treasuring. Week 5, The Necessity of Stewarding. And then all of it capped off in week 6 by The Faith in Sacrificing. And all of these messages you'll see uh, coming from the Gospel of Luke. Because in the Gospel of Luke, we find some of the most concentrated teaching of Jesus on money and possessions. And the reality is, and we need to come to terms with this right off the very bat, right at the beginning, Jesus considered this subject of money and possessions to be among the most dangerous for those who followed him. Which is why so much of his teaching, particularly within Luke's Gospel, focuses on helping the poor and giving to the needy. Now, to be clear in all of this, Jesus never considered having money and possessions to be a bad thing. He never considered it to be a bad thing. He simply knows the power that it can have over us, so much so that it can easily replace him as the most important treasure of our lives. And so, as so we come to this series today, um, I pray just with hearts, open across the room right now, that we are ready to hear what Jesus has to teach us today and through the course of this series. And, and the reality is, right, just like every week, you don't need to hear what I think. That's useless. Like, we need to hear what Jesus says. And so with that in mind, let's have our Bibles open to Luke chapter 9, and let's pray together. Father, we, um, we just come to you now in that spirit of humility, I pray, uh, just right across this room, and I ask, Lord, that you would uh, begin to work in us as it relates to this subject particularly. Lord, that you would begin to work in us to help us see that Jesus truly is all that we need, that he is the greatest possession, that he is the pearl of great price, that, that he is the treasure in the field, that once we find that treasure in the field, we go and sell everything that we have so that we can buy the field so that we can have the treasure. Lord, I pray that you would just make it so clear to us today what you are teaching us, what you are challenging us with, what you are wanting us to see and to understand and to believe and to live. And yet, Lord, in the midst of that, we realize as well that we can't do it on our own. So, Spirit of God, we call upon you right now to fill us, to help us, to teach us, and that as you do those things, that you would also give us the grace to walk in obedience to our Savior. Lord, I pray, um, even for this message right now, that it would find hearts that are ready to receive it. 
And that through this, Lord, regardless of um, where we may be with money and possessions, what we might think about, um, about any of this, Lord, that you would pour out your grace upon us. We would know the grace of Jesus in this moment. So speak to us, Lord. I pray, give us a vision for the kingdom of God above all else. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you haven't left us alone to figure this out by ourselves. So we turn to you now and pray that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. Follow along in your copy of God's word as I begin reading Luke 9, starting at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is a really interesting sequence here that happens at the end of Luke chapter 9. Three people have these conversations with Jesus, possibly, probably actually back to back to back. Like one right after the other, they're having these conversations with him and and all three of them indicate in some way their desire to follow Jesus. And I don't know what you expect Jesus to say in response as you eavesdrop into these conversations, but according to every modern-day church growth philosophy, Jesus has just failed miserably. Like, he's gone 0 for 3 with these guys. Each of these guys come to Jesus and essentially say the same thing. Jesus, I'm not sure exactly what you're doing, but I really like what I see, and so I want to be there with you. I want to be part of it with you. And notice what Jesus does not say to any of these guys. He doesn't say, oh, wow, that's great. Like, just sign here. He he doesn't say, well, just pray this prayer or raise this hand or walk this aisle or get baptized or become a member or take this class. Like, he doesn't say any of that. In fact, what Jesus does say ends up pushing these guys even farther away from him because in what he says, Jesus is clarifying the basics of what it means to follow after him. We need to understand as we come to these few verses at the end of Luke 9 that that this is like bottom shelf discipleship. This is what it means to follow after Jesus. And the challenging part for us in this is that what Jesus outlines here, this is a totally different way to think because it goes so much against the grain of our culture. This is a totally different way to live. Like these guys are coming to a fork in the road. They have to decide if following Jesus on his terms is going to be worth it for them. The reality is we have to make that same decision. So what I want to do this morning is take these few verses at the end of Luke 9 and, and I want to pose for you three questions that come from this text. Three questions Uh, as we count the cost of following Jesus, especially as it relates to our money and possessions. So here's the first question. You can jot this down if you're taking notes. Number one, will I chase the comforts of the world or follow the call of Christ? That's question number one. The first part of verse 57 puts into context everything else that Jesus is about to say in this passage. So notice this first little phrase at the start of verse 57. Luke says, as they were going along 
the road. Stop there. As they were going along the road. Now, that phrase at the start of verse 57 may sound inconsequential at first, but this is actually coming on the heels of what's happened in the previous section here. Uh, Verse 51, look back at, at verse 51, just a few verses before. Luke says in chapter 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, so when the day drew near for Jesus to die on the cross, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Verse 51 is, is what we would kind of call a hinge verse because everything now is about to change because of what Luke has just said in verse 51. He's saying here that Jesus is purposely walking toward Jerusalem because he knows that his time to die on the cross has come. So he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He is going there to die on a cross for our sins in our place. He is going there to take the penalty for our sin that we should be taking upon ourselves. And yet, because Jesus loves us so much, he's taking the brutality of that death upon himself. He would die for our sins, and then three days later, he would rise again for our justification. And he does this so that when we believe in him, we can be reconciled to God and have the hope of eternal life and the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. And friends, if you are here today and you do not know God like that, and you have not made that decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then we invite you to do that today. That is by far the most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life. And so there's going to be people up here at the front a little bit later on. You can come up and talk to one of those people or talk to the person that you came with or find somebody here before you leave today because that is the most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life. And so now, verse 57, Luke says, as they were going along the road. As they're going along that road to that cross where Jesus knows that that road ends with his death. The point here is simply this. Jesus' demands for discipleship are first rooted in his own unconditional sacrifice for us. Okay? Jesus' demands for our discipleship are first rooted in his own unconditional sacrifice for us. We need to get this right off the top because we see here that Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not done on an infinitely greater scale. His call to discipleship for us is first rooted in his own unconditional sacrifice for us. He's calling us to follow after him, to be his disciples. And the call he places on us for sacrificial living is supposed to be patterned after the sacrifice that he made for us. Like we gotta understand, this is the heartbeat of discipleship. This is the bottom shelf. This is the baseline. Giving up ourselves and giving everything for Jesus. Like if, if the way that we view our possessions and manage our money is divorced from the pattern that Jesus has set for us, then just consider for a minute the trickle-down effect that that has in your life. If we fail to see that money and possessions are a matter of our discipleship, then we won't be generous with the resources God has given us. Giving will become legalistic. We will have a lot of worry and anxiety and fear and unhappiness within our life. And inevitably, when we fail to see our money and possessions as a matter of discipleship, this this happens, that life then will become more about the comforts that we can secure than about the call that we are to follow. That's what happens for this first guy right here in Luke chapter 9. In fact, 
Matthew chapter 8 gives us a little bit of context around what's happening at the time of these conversations. And, and Matthew says that Jesus has just healed a whole bunch of people from like everything under the sun and he's done it in some very spectacular ways. And so now this guy comes to Jesus on the heels of all of those miracles and he says, hey Jesus, I want to follow you. <laughs> like I want to go with you everywhere you go. And the thing is, Jesus obviously knows the heart of this guy far better than we ever will, but I kind of wonder if this guy is coming to Jesus with a thought in the back of his mind that goes something like this. Jesus, I have seen you do all of these miracles. And as your popularity grows, I can only imagine the kind of life that you're going to be living pretty soon. And so when you're living that life, I want to be there with you. Like, I want that kind of life too. And notice what Jesus says in verse 58. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. <laughs> it's like, wow, right? Like, like even foxes and birds have places that offer them some level of comfort and security. And yet Jesus now looks back at this guy and says, because of who I am and because of the message that I'm here to proclaim, I have none of that. Like, I don't have any of that at all. Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, then I am not guaranteeing you any of those things on an earthly level. Now, let's be clear. God has been so gracious to us, right? Like, God has been so gracious to give us the things that we have and to provide so many things that we need and so many things beyond what we need that bring us in this life some measures of comfort, security, enjoyment. But we can't miss the point of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is confronting this guy at the point of his greatest idols, his perceived need for comfort and security. And so as we look at this and as we see Jesus have this conversation with this guy, we have to ask, is our security in the comforts of the world or is it in the presence of Christ? Like look at what Jesus says in verse 58. Foxes sleep here, birds sleep there, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now don't miss that because because this is actually really key. Jesus calls himself here the Son of Man. That was one of his favorite Old Testament titles to describe himself. It comes from the book of Daniel. And and the Son of Man, when Jesus referred to himself like that, he's basically saying that he is fully God and fully man. He is eternally existent and he is the ruler of a kingdom that will last forever and lack nothing. So he calls himself the Son of Man. And Jesus says to this guy now, you've got to understand that if you are going to follow me, then my kingdom is not of this world. And the riches that I guarantee are not of this world. They are in the world to come. Jesus says, if you follow me, I am not guaranteeing you any of those things in this earthly life. But I am guaranteeing that no matter where you go and no matter what you do and no matter what you need, Jesus says, I am guaranteeing that you have me. You get Jesus. And that's the point of our greatest need too, isn't it? Like, we need to be asking ourselves, is our security in the comforts of the world that will come and go, and one day they're all going to pass away, right? Like, think like 1 Corinthians 3. They're all going to be burned up in the end. Like, they're just not going to be here. We can't take them with us. So, is our security being found in the comforts of the world that come and go, and one day will all pass away, or is our security in the Son of Man who has eternally existed and rules over the entire universe? 
Like seriously, right? It should be a no-brainer. Like let's play the game. Which one of these is not like the other one, right? Like seriously, it should be a no-brainer, but, but isn't that the way of our heart? Like our heart just get t- gets tugged in the other direction to go and find our comfort in the things that we can see, in the things that we can wrap our arms around, in the things that we enjoy within this life. And Jesus says, I want your treasure in this world. I want your treasure in this life to be something so much greater. And he invites us to follow him and find our treasure in him. Like, think about it for a minute. Could, could we say, like, could you say today that if, if God were to make us like Job and all of the trappings of this world were instantly gone tomorrow, could you say that your greatest comfort would still be in knowing that you still have Jesus? Will I chase the comforts of the world or follow the call of Christ? It's question number one. Question number two. Will I long for earthly possessions or live with eternal priorities? Person number two, Jesus goes to him. Verse 59 says, To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know what you think when you read that, but I read that and, and I think right away, like, man, that is cold. Like, that's harsh. Just let the dead bury their own dead. Don't even go back to bury your dad. There's some discussion among scholars about whether or not this guy's dad had actually died yet. Um, And it seems that there's a good possibility that he had not died because there's a Jewish custom where the oldest son would go through a burial custom when his father died, and the custom would begin as soon as the dad died, and it could last for up to a year long. So there's a really good chance here that this guy's dad was not dead yet, probably wasn't even close to dying yet, because if he was, then there's no way that the son would have been following Jesus down this road that's going somewhere that he doesn't really know where. He'd be at home with his dad. If his dad were dying, if he were close to death, he'd be at home taking care of his dad at that point. So the thought here is that he's waiting for his dad to die so that he can collect his inheritance that he's been waiting for. And this is another case where, obviously, Jesus knows the heart of this guy far better than we ever do. And so Jesus comes to him as they're walking along the road, and he says to him, follow me. And this guy looks back at Jesus, and he says, Lord, I I want to. And I will, but, but Jesus, I just heard you talking to that first guy. And you said to that first guy that there's going to be some nights where if we follow after you, that we're not going to have anywhere to sleep. And so I've come this far that to walk away now from my inheritance just doesn't seem to make sense. And so let me go back to that first and and let me get my nest egg and then I'll come and follow you so that when we have those nights where we have nowhere to sleep, at least I've got a little bit of money in my pocket and I can find a place to sleep and I can take care of myself and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says, nope. Sorry, but it doesn't work that way. Jesus looks back at the guy and says, if you're going to follow me, If you are going to follow Jesus, then notice what he says here. Proclaiming the kingdom of God is the most important thing. 
If you're going to follow Jesus, then proclaiming the kingdom of God is more important than a big bank account. By the way, um, the kingdom of God is an important theme that we see repeatedly through the gospel of Luke. Um, It's mentioned 40 times through the gospel. We see it twice here in this passage. And to borrow a definition that we've used before, here's what we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God. Von Roberts says it like this. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So that's what we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So God's people saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ in God's place, meaning that we enjoy this personal, intimate relationship with God through faith in Christ and under God's rule and blessing, living life as it was designed by God to be lived so that we can receive blessing from God that he wants to give. And this is the point that Jesus is making. The kingdom of God is what matters most in this life. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to understand that the kingdom of God is the greatest priority. True satisfaction will not come from waiting for your nest egg to hatch. Your fulfillment in life won't come from material possessions that your money can buy. Jesus says that the only thing that is truly worth giving your life for is to telling other people about him and his gospel. Like give your life to proclaiming the kingdom of God, to telling other people that they can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, that there is no greater joy in this life than to know God and to be known by God. And and so for some disciples who are standing around Jesus and they're eavesdropping into that conversation, and I imagine even for some disciples who are sitting here in this room right now, it may mean leaving some money and possessions behind so that you can go and proclaim the kingdom of God. But for all of us, for every single one of us sitting in this room right now, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter how much or how little you might have, for all of us, it means making our money and our possessions servants to the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. As a pastor, I've seen this play out in a number of different ways over the years. One of the most common ways this has a a way of playing out is in giving. So on the one hand, let me just give you a scenario here. On the one hand, you have one person who comes and says, you know, pastor, I'm, I'm just kind of in a really hard spot financially right now and I've made some bad financial decisions and I'm trying to find my way out. I'm in between a rock and a hard place and, and so when I can get settled again and figure out things financially again, then I'll start to give. So I'm going to wait until I can get it all figured out and then I'll give. And then on the other hand, you've got another person who comes and says, you know, pastor, I'm in a really hard spot financially right now and I've made some really bad financial decisions in the past and I'm trying to find my way out and I'm in between a rock and a hard place right now, but I am committed to giving to the Lord. And like it says in the Bible, I've determined in my heart between me and the Lord that I'm going to give and I'm going to give cheerfully and I'm going to give sacrificially. And to talk with this person and see what sacrificially actually means. Like they are giving sacrificially based on where they are in their life at that particular point. And inevitably, what happens here is that over the course of time, you begin to see this chasm that builds between these two people. Because you got the first person who comes in and and they've said, listen, I'm just going to try and figure it all out first and then I'll give to the Lord. And that person ends up experiencing frustration and difficulty and hardship and anxiety and worry that just goes up and up and up and eventually it's just off the charts. But then you've got the second person and let's be honest, like 
they're the ones who come in and say, listen, I'm going through a hard time financially, but I'm determined to give to the Lord. And, and let's, I mean, let's be clear, like they experience hardship, they experience frustration, they experience difficulty as they try and figure things out as well. But then as you look at their life, you begin to see these flashes of joy. Just all of a sudden, these flashes of joy that appear in their life over time. And over the course of time, you begin to see blessing after blessing after blessing that is getting poured into their life from the Lord. And the reality is that that blessing most often does not come in the form of more money. Like, let's be clear about that, right? Because Jesus said, I'd never guaranteed that. And yet there's blessing upon blessing upon blessing that comes into their life. Why? Because even though they may not have all of the material possessions that the world says they should, they know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they have Jesus. And they're following after Jesus. They're being obedient to what Jesus says. They experience the blessing because they've made it their priority to live life the way that God designed for it to be lived so they can receive the blessing that God has designed to give. See, obedience is never dependent upon circumstance. Obedience may look different in certain circumstances, but it's never dependent on our circumstance. So let's pause here just for a second. I don't know how this is hitting your, your mind and your heart right now, but I want to pause here because it's possible that that this could be really difficult for some of you to hear. And it's possible that, that as we're talking about this, it's bringing up memories, it's, being, it's bringing up just emotions within you that you're fighting because you know you've made some mistakes in the past and you're trying to figure things out, you're trying to get in a better direction and establish better patterns and you want to follow the Lord and it's just really, really hard right now. And, and I don't know how this is hitting you, but regardless of how it's hitting you, I want to take all of us back to what we said at the very beginning. Grace. Okay, you got to hear that. There is grace upon grace upon grace from the Lord Jesus Christ for you. Like you got to understand grace that forgives our past, grace that gives us the ability for a new day today. And so turn to Jesus. Like ask him for his help, ask him for his grace, ask him for his provision, and he will listen to your prayer. Will I long for earthly possessions or live with eternal priorities? That's question number two. Which leads us then to one final question, number three. Will I covet what is left behind or plow forward for what lies ahead? That's question number three. So verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So guy number three is a lot like guy number two. He's heard what Jesus has said. He thinks he's ready to follow, but he just wants to go home and say goodbye to his family one last time. And again, you find here that Jesus raises the bar one more time and he says, listen, if you're going to follow me, then you can't look back. Like not even to the most important relationships that you have in your life right now. You just can't look back. Remember what Jesus said about this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus said this, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not condoning hating your family or disrespecting your parents. Okay? What he's saying here is that your love for him needs to be so strong that your love for your family looks like hate in comparison. In fact, when it comes to money and possessions, we see the same thing from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. So listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So just pause here, kind of step back from that passage for a second and just, um, just try and imagine when Paul was writing this. Try and imagine Paul sitting down at his desk, he's got a piece of parchment in front of him, whatever he's using to write, and, and he makes a, a, kind of like a spreadsheet, he makes columns on his piece of parchment. How many like, how many like columns and charts and stuff? Like, like you don't survive unless you have them, right? So here's Paul, he's sitting down with his piece of parchment, draws a line right down the middle and then one across the top. He's got two columns on his page. And on the left side of that parchment, he's got a title on the top that says loss. And he just begins writing stuff in to that column, in the lost column. And he finds that as he's writing, he just keeps writing and writing and adding and adding. And he's putting down house and car and education and reputations, possessions, money, heritage, social standing. Like everything is going in that left-hand column that's titled loss. In fact, he goes so far in this passage as to call it rubbish. It's a great British word, right? Rubbish. Right? That word in the original language actually means dung, like waste, refuse. And that's how Paul saw all of the stuff that he had within his life. It's not that he wasn't thankful for it. It's just that he had a new perspective on it since Christ had done this work within his life. And and all of that stuff, he sees all of that as rubbish. He sees all of it as loss, at least compared to what is on the other side of that parchment in the right-hand column. So he's got this column on the left. It's titled loss. He's got everything underneath that. And then he's got this column on the right. And the heading over that column is gain. And there's one thing that's in that column and one thing alone, and it is Christ. He knows that in giving up all of that, he gets Jesus. Oh, that is so good. Like, just think about that. Everything on the left is dung. It's refuse. It is waste in comparison to the reality that he gets Jesus. And loved ones, listen, this should be a clarion call for all of us right across this room right now. For all of us in this church right now, this should be such a clear call for us. It is time for us to start fishing through the dung that's on the left. Pardon the analogy, right? But, but maybe we need to hear it like that. It's time for us to start wading through all of the refuse, all of the waste, all of the stuff that's on the left because as good as those things can be, sometimes those things in that lost column have the ability to blind our eyes and to bind our hearts to seeing everything that we could get and do have already on the right side of that column in Jesus Christ. We need to see that. We need to start with that. So just think about that in light of the challenge that Jesus puts in front of us in Luke chapter 9. And he says, when you put your hand to the plow and you start walking, 
Like you can't look back. You can't look back at what you used to value. You can't look back at what you used to prioritize and long for those things again because when you do, when you put your hand to the plow and you start walking forward and then you start looking back, eventually you're going to veer off course and you're going to start going into places where you shouldn't go and and you're eventually maybe even going to end up in the ditch somewhere. Again, he says, the kingdom of God is the most important thing in life. That is the thing that should be filling our vision and consuming our life. So how is it then that we use what God has given us to advance the kingdom? Three questions. Will I chase the comforts of the world or follow the call of Christ? Will I long for earthly possessions or live with, earthly pri- with eternal priorities? And will I covet what is left behind or plow forward for what lies ahead? We need to understand as we come to this passage, what Jesus says about these things like this is bottom shelf discipleship. This is discipleship 101 right here. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And see, here's the thing. When Jesus has these three conversations with these guys, and when we ask these three questions, Jesus is not just saying these things to these guys with the expectation that they're just going to go and do automatically what's right. See, in asking the question and in saying these things to these guys, Jesus is offering himself. And the reality is that you and I, if you and I are going to answer these questions in the way that Jesus wants us to answer them, then we need Jesus himself. Like there is not a natural bone in any of our bodies that will lead us to answer these questions in the way that we should. Which is why we need the supernatural power of Jesus to bring about supernatural fruit within our lives. Listen, we need Jesus to do this. If we're going to make the kingdom of God the most important thing within our life, proclaiming the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God, then you need the king. When Jesus calls us to follow him, understand, it's not just about what we do. It's about who we get. And we get Jesus. Jesus.